Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. Writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have a segment about fact-checking, and another segment about why we say something is a watershed moment. Let's start with fact-checking. This segment is by Edwin Battistella. The actor Cary Grant once said of acting that, quote, it takes 500 small details to add up to one favorable impression, unquote. That's true for writing as well. Concrete details can paint a picture for a reader and establish credibility for a writer. Details can be tricky, however, and in the swirl of research and the dash of exposition, it's possible to get things wrong—dates, names, quotes, and facts. I've been doing some fact-checking of my own lately for a book project and have a few tips. If you don't know, don't assume. Is gorilla originally a French word or Spanish? I once assumed it was French, not bothering to check, but it turned out to be Spanish. Don't be misled by terminology. I once referred to the Soviet Revolution as occurring in October of 1917, based on the notion that it was the October Revolution. But that's only true on the old-style calendar. On the new-style calendar, the revolution took place in November 1917. Beware of common knowledge. What we think we know may not be the whole story. Take the simple statement that Johannes Gutenberg invented the printing press. He was involved, to be sure, and a key player, but he was not a lone artisan. He had financial backers supporting him and skilled craftsmen working for him. And it's more accurate to say that he devised a revolutionary method of printing with mechanical movable type. Learn what needs checking. For any project, keep a list of the kinds of things that need to be verified. Names, dates, places, arithmetic, and more. Names shift in your memory. Is it the Pacific Crest Trail or Pacific Coast Trail? Dates can lead you down a garden path. A film might have been produced in one year and released in the next. Someone elected in 1980 would have taken office in 1981. A bridge or building you mention might not have existed in the time period of your novel. The arithmetic of lifespans can be tricky as well. If someone was born in 1894 and lived until 1976, how old were they when they died? 82 is what you get by subtracting 1894 from 1976, but the actual age depends on the birth and death days. December 15, 1894, and February 20, 1976, yields 81 and change. Look for original sources. Information mutates from source to source, so it's preferable to find the original source. Where that isn't possible, look for the best source possible, something that's peer-reviewed or fact-checked. Ask for help. Reach out to librarians, archivists, and other scholars. When I found myself stumped about a particular fact whose citations all pointed to one place, I contacted the author and he helped me resolve the mystery. Be wary of quotes. Something is often up when a quote appears more than one way. A putative quote from Alice Roosevelt Longworth, Teddy's tart-tongued daughter, supposedly described Franklin Roosevelt as, quote, 90% Eleanor and 10% mush, unquote. Elsewhere, the quote appears as 10% mush and 90% Eleanor. 
and still elsewhere as two-thirds mush and one-third Eleanor. When historian Joseph Lash asked her about the quote, she said, Never, I never said that. Mush is a bad, silky word. There's no ring to mush. The New York Times obituary of Longworth gave the quote as one-third sap and two-thirds Eleanor. Admit defeat when necessary. When you've determined that something is unverified or in dispute, say so. There's no shame in being uncertain. Inevitably, you'll make a mistake, misread a source, or get fooled. When that happens, someone will correct you, and it's best to admit the error, say thank you, make a correction if possible, and learn the lesson. Mistakes can happen to anyone, but every slip is a learning experience. As for that Cary Grant quote at the beginning, it checks out. The Oxford Dictionary of American Quotations by Hugh Rawson and Margaret Minor includes it, and I managed to track it back to a 1964 news article by James Bacon, who interviewed the actor and later wrote a biography. That segment was written by Edwin L. Battistella and originally appeared on the OUP blog. Battistella teaches linguistics and writing at Southern Oregon University in Ashland, where he served as a dean and as interim provost. He's the author of Do You Make These Mistakes in English? Bad Language and The Logic of Markedness. A few weeks ago, Mr. Mustin, an English teacher from South Carolina, asked why we describe something as a watershed moment. And I realized I didn't know. Great question. Here's what I found. Watershed originated as a term that describes the landscape, but it has different meanings in American and British English. In the U.S., a watershed is an area of land that eventually drains into a body of water. For example, if rain falls on some land and that water ends up in the Boise River, then that land is part of the Boise River watershed. In Britain, it's a little different— The watershed is the ridge or crest that divides water that flows into different basins, or what we'd call watersheds in the U.S. So by the British definition, water flows into different drainage basins on different sides of a watershed. And it's this British meaning that gives us the more metaphorical meanings of watershed that Mr. Mustin was asking about. Because a watershed or a watershed moment is something like a dividing line between two events or times. For example, a famous quotation often attributed to William Faulkner or Frank Lloyd Wright is, A man is a fool if he drinks before he reaches the age of 50, and a fool if he doesn't afterward. Now, the Quote Investigator website, which looks at the origin of quotations— found that this quotation was popular among doctors long before Faulkner or Wright could have said it. And the site describes the turning point in the quotation as the watershed age. It says the watershed age was variable. Sometimes 50 was specified and sometimes 40. At the time, doctors believed that before that age, whether it was 40 or 50, you shouldn't drink. But after that age, you should. As Mr. Mustin noted, when watershed is used metaphorically, it's often followed by the word moment, as in this quotation from Walter Cronkite about the death of Winston Churchill. Quote, The death of Churchill at 90 was one of those watershed moments in which the obituary rises to a special calling beyond the sharing of remembered times. 
It gave an older generation a rare opportunity to explain something of itself to its children, unquote. In that case, watershed moment is used to mean something like an important moment, but it still has a sense of a division or a dividing line, that there's a difference in knowledge between the older generation and the younger generation. Interestingly, in British English, watershed also has developed a specific meaning related to television. It's still a division, but it's the specific division between the time when stations can air shows that are appropriate for all audiences and the time when they can air shows that are just appropriate for adults. For example, a 2015 headline in The Guardian, a British newspaper, asks, Should the 9 p.m. television watershed be abolished? So I hope this will help you understand and use the term watershed moment a little better. It can be a little confusing since the topographical meaning is different in British English and American English, but they both involve water running in different directions. And a watershed moment isn't just an important moment, it's a moment that has a specific before and after. Before the watershed moment, things were one way, and after the watershed moment, they're different. Thanks for the question. Finally, I have a family-like story from Lori. Hi, Grammar Girl. I'm Lori, a college writing instructor and tutor from your neighboring state of Arizona. Here's our family-like word and the story behind it. In our family, the word Bradley's is used to mean you're welcome. The story goes way back to when my husband and I were first married and living, living in Germany while my husband was in the Army. We watched TV on AFN, the Armed Forces Network. One of the commercials was this odd short video clip of a tank driving up over a hill, and the tank was introduced as the Bradley. Around the same time, my husband and I frequently said tanks instead of thanks, probably because we were learning German and the TH sound in German isn't pronounced. Our response to tanks, meaning thanks, was Bradley's, to mean you're welcome. That's the story. Thanks for the great podcast to keep me company during my long daily commute. Thanks, Lori. I love the kind of logic of that story. If you want to hear your family-like story on the show, the story of a word your family and only your family uses, leave a voicemail message like Lori did at 83-321-4-GIRL. I'm Mignon Fogarty, Grammar Girl and author of the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. You can find me at the home of my podcast network, quickanddirtytips.com, where you can also find all the other great Quick and Dirty Tips hosts like The Mighty Mommy and The Savvy Psychologist. And thanks to my audio producer, Nathan Sams. That's all. Thanks for listening. <laughs>